this is Perspectives. It's the show where a conversation about the ways in which we might be different often shows us how much we really have in common. I'm Condice Presley, and I'm so excited for you to meet our guest today. If I'm sure there are times when you are thinking about what just happened, what's coming up, what instead of maybe what you should be doing or being in the moment. Well, our guest today knows a little something about that. He is author M. Andrew McConnell, and his book is Get Out of My Head, Creating Modern Clarity with Stoic Wisdom. Uh, Andrew McConnell was born in Birmingham, but raised in North Carolina by a couple of doctors, graduated from Harvard, Harvard Law, and the University of Cambridge with honors, all while becoming a member of the USA Open Water Swimming National Team and earning an international bronze medal. As he entered the work world, he worked as a banker, and then he was an attorney, and then he was a consultant, and then he decided, you know what? I'm going to work for myself. He struck out on his own. And by deploying the ancient philosophy of Stoicism, Andrew McConnell eventually took his company, the company he founded, from less than $200,000 in revenue to nearly $10 million in revenue in under three years. Yeah, we'll do the math for you. That's a 50% increase. Rented, that's his company, is now a two-time Inc. 500 winner, and the growth continues. He tracks his journey in a number of business publications. Perhaps you've read him because he is a regular contributor to Forbes, USA Today, and the Huffington Post, among others. And we welcome the author of Get Out of My Head, Creating Modern Clarity with Stoic Wisdom, and the author, M. Andrew McConnell. Andrew, welcome to Perspectives. Thank you so much, Candice. It is a pleasure to be here. Where did you discover the idea for this book, Get Out of My Head? It, it was kind of meandering. It was out of a conversation. So when, when COVID first hit and we were living in a condo, so I wasn't getting to see a lot of other people, right? You're very close. And it's just me and my wife and my daughter. And where I'd normally just message with people or email with people, I was picking up the phone a lot more. I was doing Zoom meetings with people to just try to reconnect uh, and see other humans. And one of those people was a friend of mine from college who, after college, had gone and co-founded a, a real estate company that was buying up single-family rental homes to rent out to people. And then that company went public. They got tens of thousands of those properties, and he got into real estate investment in other ways. And we we're talking about what was happening in the world at that time in kind of March, 2020. And he said, oh yeah, I would go start that company in a heartbeat because we're going to have a generation of perpetual renters. We're going to have these people that got wiped out in the financial crisis. They're getting wiped out again right now. These people are never going to be able to build the financial means to afford their own home. And I thought, this is so sad, right? Like that was something I kept thinking about after the fact that due to no fault, of their own, people were in a position to not be able to build the financial means they needed to own their own home. They were going to rent for the rest of their lives. And then I started looking around at how I was living my life and how my wife was living her life and how almost everybody to the person that I could see how people were living. And I realized we had a much bigger problem on our hands. It wasn't a generation of people who were going to have to rent physical real estate for the rest of their lives. We had an entire society that we'd created where we were all renting our own minds. We'd all given it away. We'd given it away to social media. We'd given it away to politicians. We'd given it away to what someone said the night before 
or something we're dreading the next week at work. And we were left as tenants of our own mind. And I said, well, this, this is a real problem. Um, and so just started researching, wait, why is this? Why would everybody be doing this and found out, oh, it's because of how our brains evolved, right? And this is, there's a biological reason behind this, which is not the best answer. But fortunately in doing the research found there are also solutions. It's been around long enough that a lot of people have faced this problem. They've come up with solutions. And so that was really where this book grew out of, of yes, stoicism, that's the, the framework for it, but it draws on a lot of ancient wisdom from religions, Buddhism, Taoism, Judaism, Islam, Christianity, uh, and different people at different times and geographies have come to the same realizations and conclusions because they're just eternal human truths, because it's true to us as humans, not to a specific label so much. Share with our audience what your understanding of stoicism is. Some may not know. Yeah. So I think when a lot of people hear stoicism or stoic, they think of it in what I describe as the lowercase, lowercase s, stoic or stoicism. And that is the stony face, the unfeeling, the unemotional. And it can have a, a pejorative connotation, right? Like people, you don't want to be that stoic person who's never happy about anything. But stoicism, the philosophy I say is the capitalist stoicism. And that's much less about not feeling anything. You should, everybody feels stuff. Um, what that's about is really understanding what is in our control and what is not. And ultimately what is in our control is that one thing that we can own, our mind. Our body, as the past two years, if not before taught us, we don't control. A little virus can get us sick no matter what we do. Our physical possessions, as some of the richest Russians in the world found out, if somebody changes the rules, you don't own those possessions anymore. They can break, they can degrade, even if people don't take them away. But our mind is that one thing that we can own. And I think the Stoics saw and recognized that even though that was the case, people were not exercising that ownership. And so stoicism is really about how to identify what is it in your control and how to exercise that ownership over your mind. Is that something, that those types of readings, is that something you've always done? Or when were you first introduced to the concept of stoicism with the capital S? It is a good question. When, when I first came into it, I, I'm not 100% sure. I think in college, I took some philosophy courses and so probably came across it. And I don't think it necessarily clicked the same way. Uh, and then it probably Tim Ferriss, you know, the guy who wrote the 4-Hour Workweek, 4-Hour Body, he got big on stoicism. He did the audio book for Seneca. So he has all Seneca's letters in the audio book. He kind of helped launch Ryan Holiday, who's probably the single biggest stoic, 100-day stoic writer. And so through him, and the people who he has on his podcast for references, and they all talk about Seneca or Marcus Aurelius's meditations, I eventually found my way to Ryan and to the, the source materials. And so it's, I don't, I can't trace it back to this one time of, hey, here's when I picked up this one book. And that was my very first moment with it. You are the founder and CEO of a company called rented.com. I have a question related to the book, but first explain to the listeners, uh, what is your business and what it does? Because it's yeah. apparently doing really, really well. Yeah, so Rented, we are the pricing engine for professional vacation rental managers and Airbnb hosts. So if you think about airlines and hotels, we're all used to when we go search to book a airline ticket or a hotel room, those prices fluctuate. In vacation rentals, even though it's a much older industry, right? Vacation rentals existed before airplanes existed. <laughs> before we could fly as humans, we had vacation rentals. But 
because it's never gotten to the size of airlines or hotels, people just kind of set the price. Maybe they put 4th of July a little more, Christmas a little more, but they weren't responding to changes in supply and demand. And so we built the, the engine behind that to help those people price better. So on a Tuesday night out of season, get that price lower. You know, people will travel at the right price. They'd, they'd still love to go to the beach in October. They're just not going to pay what they did 4th of July. And given supply and demand, you know, 4th of July, maybe you can make a little more. And that changes, right? 4th of July, what you're charging six months out, maybe different than 4th of July when it's July 1st. And so really adapting uh, to what the market is. Now, for the reader of your book, Get Out of My Head, there is an analogy between the ownership of our minds, because many people have way more folks occupying space, real estate in, the, in their heads than they would prefer, and renting or owning a vacation home, uh, the work that you do professionally. Was that intentional? It was. You know, the, the entire purpose of our business is to try to help people maximize the value of their asset, of how do you make the most from this property, from this asset. And for a lot of the time in the marketing, say your most valuable or second most valuable asset. And with stoicism, I realize, no, it's not. <laughs> there's, no, there's no external asset at all that could ever compare to the value of your mind as an asset. Because if that goes, what else matters, right? Like you, you doesn't matter how much money you collected, how many houses, whatever. But if you didn't have control of your mind, all of it's meaningless. And I think we all have very personal sad stories all, and three great grandmothers, all of them suffered from Alzheimer's. And without that ownership, it, it doesn't matter anything else. The book is a combination of your own personal stories that you tell, as well as the stories of people that you've worked with or know through in business or who are friends of yours personally. How did you determine that was going to come together and that was how you were going to illustrate the benefits of stoicism and ownership of one's own mind? Yeah, there are a few different reasons for that. I mean, one, just being the person putting words on the page, I did want to have the relationship with the reader of being very open of, hey, here, this isn't something that I've solved. It's something I struggle with, right? It's, I, I describe it, it's not like, it, it's, it's like diet. It's like exercise. You know, you don't read a book and you're done. You don't exercise for a week and you're done. It's, it's something you have to take care of that mental health and mind ownership for, for the course of your life. And so I thought it important to kind of share my journey there. But then also for credibility, it, if I was just one person, that's not necessarily that much data. Um, so, hey, does this apply to others? I thought finding people way more impressive than me to illustrate the point would be incredibly helpful. So from Navy SEALs to the founder of DocuSign, from the CIO of Atlanta to the daughter of Martin Luther King, um, to artists and Olympians and, and different people of how today they're taking these same principles and putting them into practice to create art, to create companies, to affect social change. And so that one, it I think gives more credibility, but two, gives opportunity for more aha moments for, for that click to happen for an individual. There, there's a particular book I, I share a lot with people um, and my father's aha moment with it was entirely different from my father-in-law's. It was entirely different from my brother-in-law's. And they all read the same book. They all experienced the same thing. But what resonated with them was totally different. And so being able to share the same thing in multiple ways of, hey, here's the concept. 
here's the science behind it. Maybe that really clicks with some people. Here's the ancient application. Here's my personal experience with it. Here's another modern day application. Um, it, it just trying to touch it a few different ways so it really clicks with as many people as possible because the the goal is just to help people. I mean, the, getting getting the messages of, wow, this came to me at the perfect time in my life. This came at the perfect time in my career. I really needed this right now. It it can help. And so just finding ways to to get it to more people and, and make it resonate with them was the ultimate goal. Of the people that you interviewed or talked with for the book, was there anyone's story that resonated with you more or that you thought would resonate with your readers more than any other? I think it depends on the person. I, certainly one that comes up frequently uh, is, well, there are a few different ones, but one that comes up frequently is Christopher Coleman, uh, who was born with multiple sclerosis and, and was born what they thought deceased and kind of his whole story and how he came around. Uh, it seems to be one that really pulls at people's heartstrings and kind of what he can teach us all there. But you know, whether it's in business or it's artists or you know athletes trying to overcome things, I think the idea with profiling different people was to have it resonate. It's not all just for startup founders or people in early stage companies that, yeah, that's, that's one group of people that are dealing with it. Uh, for people who are early career, hey, I'm just getting out of school and I want to start my career and I, I want to create these boundaries. I, I don't want to get sucked in. I've seen what that was like for my parents or my grandparents. Um, that's another group for, for people who may have been working for 20, 30 years and they've just been going through the motions. And they look up and you know you hit 50 and say, wow, you know, I'm, I'm kind of halfway through. Is Am I where I want to be? Am I going to where I want to be? Do I know where I want to be? Have I even asked that question? Right. That's an entirely different group. And so yeah, I think that was the whole reason to have the different profiles and different illustrations, because I'm not sure there is a one size fits all there. One of the great things about Get Out of My Head is that you do a recap. You give us two or three bullet points that summarize each chapter. But in addition to that, uh, for folks who listen to audiobooks, there's a downloadable PDF. There are exercises and worksheets. Can you talk about the rationale behind including those with the book? Yeah, and, and those worksheets, those are available whether you do the audiobook, you buy the physical book and you want a separate worksheet, or you you have the Kindle, you know, you do a, a digital copy. And it, it really comes back to that this is a practice. It's not an aha moment that it's a one and done. Right. Uh, I, I do equate it to our physical health with sleep. Like you don't say, hey, I got a great night's sleep. I now don't need to sleep for the next week. Right? It's, it's a thing you have to continually take care of. And when it comes to mind ownership, when it comes to mental health, it's something we need to continually invest in and work on because again, our biology is working against us. And so the default state is not what you want. The default state will get you to a place you don't want to be. And so you have to proactively track it, check back in and course correct as you go. And so that's that was the idea of having these exercises there. I wanted to ask you, because there were several aha moments, I think for you as the author and for your readers, I'm reminded of the chapter where you were sitting with your mentor and you're talking about work and working all the time. And well, when I get to the next job, then it's going to be different. Or after that, it's going to be different. When in fact, I think if I understood what you were sharing, 
the aha moment was it's not the place it's the person and until the person modifies his or her work behavior no matter where he or she is employed nothing's going to change is that a fair assessment 100% yeah so i you know the i think the the modern day phrase that probably ties most closely is the grass is always greener on the other side right and i get a couple of things there i mean one something i learned since writing the book is your perception literally is true that the grass is greener on the other side because of how the light refracts that when you're looking at something from an angle versus straight down it's going to have this more vibrant hue so the grass could be the exact same there and here but it still to you will look greener just because it's somewhere else then there's a separate piece of maybe the grass is it's actually a really beautiful lawn it looks like a golf course over there and you're just a bunch of splotchy weeds and a dying bush and if the reason that ground under your feet is falling apart is not beautiful and green is because you're not good at gardening then all you're going to do when you get across the fence is destroy what is currently a beautiful garden your garden is not going to ever be good because you didn't solve the core problem you didn't become a good gardener you didn't learn what needed to change and socrates had a line that some friend was saying you know i, I hated my travels they weren't any good he said of course they weren't you know wherever you went you were still there right it wasn't the place you were the same person you can't expect the place to change you that change can only come from within and so there's a, a quote that i keep above my desk other people aren't the problem but it's also other places aren't the problem. Nothing else is a problem. It is internal. And that's all change has to start from inside. Who is this book written for? It's written for anybody that feels that they live too much of their life with other people in their mind, without control of where they're spending their time in their mind. Because when we're born, right, you're naked, you've got nothing. The one thing you have is your mind. That's the one thing we all get. And I watch children, they're actually pretty good at it. They can totally zone out. They can totally ignore everything else going on. They have control of their mind. And yet for everything else that we accumulate and build and learn over life, we also seem to learn to give away our mind, right? That self-conscious of look in the mirror. Okay, what do I have something on my face? What are other people saying? Kids don't care about that. They just get about their day but we learn this behavior. And so anyone who feels like they want to get back to owning that, to say, no, no, this is my mind. I decide. You know, Martin Luther had this quote uh, of, I can't stop a bird from flying overhead, but I can stop a bird from building a nest on top of my head. So you can't control the ideas or the words that are flying by you, but you do get to decide if you let them set up shop in your mind. And so anybody who feels like they're out of control of that, that's who this is for. I read something recently that talked about social media, and I guess the phrase is called doom scrolling, doom scrolling. and how what they're seeing on their phones is taking up space in their minds that they should be occupying. That's exactly, I mean, there, there are infinite things to unpack uh, in that, because whether it's, it's social media or it's the news, or it's just conversations and letting people a week after the fact or a day after the fact still live. We're an ex, right? Taylor Swift had that song, uh, Forgot That You Existed, where you said about the ex, free rent living in my mind, right? That's not social, that's not this, but that ex who's moved out, he's not in the house anymore, but he's living rent-free in her head. That, whether it's social media or anything else, that is its own problem. 
social media can kind of go next level because it's so scientific. They're so good about making it habitual. It's a habit. You you don't, so many people don't realize they're picking up their phone 86 times a day. They don't realize how anytime there's a three second lag in their life, they're waiting for somebody to log into a Zoom or they're waiting to brush their teeth, whatever it is, they just pick up their phone and end up on Instagram or end up on Facebook. And so do you want to give them control of what your default action is? Or can you take ownership and say, okay, wait, my hand just went there, but do I want to give my mind and time for that right now? That's a question. Then there's a separate piece that you bring up of comparison being the thief of joy of what are people sharing on social media? Typically they're highlights of their life. You're seeing just the best of the best, but you're living all of your life. And so you think everybody, oh, everybody is having fun all the time. Whereas I actually have to wash dishes. I actually have to go sweep the floor. I have to make the bed. Well, no, everybody has to do that. They just don't put it on social media because it's not interesting. <laughs> um, and so just knowing that helps you kind of reframe it a little bit. But I, I think the first step is, do you even want to give it the time and the mind in the first place? And how much? Right? It, I think if most people went through the exercise say, okay, how much of my life, you know, I may be awake 16 hours a day, do I want to give 1.6 hours? Do, do I want to give 10% of my waking life to social media? Do I want to give 10 minutes? Like just have how many people ask that question and then track how much am I actually giving to it? It's a rare thing. What I'm hearing from you is that some of the things that you've learned, experienced, and you share and get out of my head creating modern clarity with stoic wisdom is that it's not a one and done prospect. It's not, I'll read this book, learn a few things, and I can do this and I'm going to be, I'm going to be better, better at who I want to be. You're saying that it's like anything, it's a practice and it's going to be hard and things that are hard require practice. Exactly. You can't get good. The only thing natural, we talk about natural talent and you can have relatively natural talent, but truly the only thing natural is mediocrity. Right. I mean, LeBron's very tall, very athletic, but you don't think if that guy didn't lift weights and practice for three or four decades, <laughs> as much as he does, that he would be as good as he is. No, Steph Curry, how much do you think he practices? You can say he's a natural talent, but I promise you, he's working way harder than what he does than any of us. And so, yes, if you want to do something that is not natural, because it's natural for us to be tenants of our mind then you're going to have to practice. And that really goes back to that workbook of, it can be hard to kind of carry around a book and go back, what page was it on? But here, there's this totally separate workbook. I'm having an issue with setting my boundaries. Great, like here's the exercise. Let me go each, every two weeks, go back and revisit. How am I doing on this? And then maybe you make it a habit so that 80% of the time you're not good at it as opposed to the 20% because you've gotten really good at it. You've baked it into how you live your life. How do readers get a copy of your book? Get out of my head, creating modern clarity with Stoic wisdom. It is sold wherever good books are sold. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Porchlight, um, globally, you, you can purchase it. It's available hard copy. It's available on Kindle. It's available on Audible and audio version. Uh, so it, it's out there. Certainly go to Amazon and get it. I think that's where most people do. But if you want to go to your local bookseller, they can also get it. Andrew McConnell. I appreciate you, appreciate your time. Book again, Get Out of My Head, Creating Modern Clarity with Stoic Wisdom. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much, Candice. It was great to see you. Good to see you. 
Perspectives is a community and public affairs program produced with you in mind. If there's a guest or an issue you'd like to hear me explore, I hope you'd let me know. The easiest way to connect with me is on social media. Just slip me a DM or send me a message. Search Condas Presley on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And yeah, I know you're asking, how do you spell Condas? C-O-N-D-A-C-E. And Presley has two S's. That's P-R-E-S-S-L-E-Y. Friends, I appreciate your listening. Be sure to listen again next week at the same time as we explore new perspectives. <laughs>